In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Imagine you are sitting down somewhere and a group of people come near to you and one of them gestures towards you and asks another member of the group if some problem you were suffering was because of your sin or someone else's sin. Such was the shame under which this blind man lived in our reading from John 9. Shame was cast upon him because it was surely God's judgment against him or upon him. It must have been caused by someone else, but he still bore the brunt of the consequences and scorned. Jesus' answer to the disciples' question removes some of that scorn and shame. He says that it is not sin, rather it is so that God's works might be publicly exposed or revealed in him. In other words, God desires to show in this man what he is doing, both the nature and purpose of his works and the nature of the one who is working the works. So what do we see here? We see God's work as creator. Jesus takes some clay, some mud, and puts it on the eyes of the blind man, reminding us that God is the potter and we are the clay jars which he forms, molds, and makes. As God formed Adam out of the ground of the earth, now Jesus works on this man, not to restore sight that was lost, but to give sight where there was none. Just think about that for a moment. We're talking about creating functioning eyes and eyesight where there was none. This is not some technological patch or a surgical jury-rigging. This is an act, an action of creation. But not just any action of creation. This is the act of bringing light to the darkness. Here is a man who has been trapped in darkness his whole life. Here is a man who has been without the light. But not only does he not see with his eyes, he doesn't know who God is. He doesn't see the Lord. He is blind to the true God, blind to who the Son of Man is. But all of that changes. Jesus opens the man's eyes and he begins to see. And he sees more clearly than some of the Pharisees who try to interpret the miracle. At first, there's a division among the Pharisees over this miracle. Some conclude that Jesus cannot be from God because he worked on the Sabbath. Taking mud and spit and rubbing it together is just like kneading dough to make bread. Such work is prohibited in the Old Testament. Therefore, it is prohibited here. This is not keeping God's law, so Jesus must be operating outside of God's word. Others, though, question how Jesus could do such a sign as this. Clearly, this sign is on the level of God's work. This is not something man can do, nor could demons fake. This is an act of creation. So how could it not be from God? Just think of the Egyptian sorcerers who could not produce the third plague by their magic arts. They could not bring gnats forth from the dust of the earth and so declare that this had to be the work of God. This sign of bringing sight to this man is similarly outside the powers of man and demons. It's one reason that the next course of action was to make sure that the man had always been blind. The no longer blind man, though, is certain that Jesus came from God. He falls into those who agree 
that such a sign can only happen from God and answers. That way, both times he is asked. In fact, more than that, Jesus clearly has authority over the Sabbath, for he is doing God's works, which do not stop even on the Sabbath. God does not rest from taking care of his creation or stop all his works on the Sabbath. No, God, our creator, continues to work on the Sabbath, preserving us, providing for us, and even delivering us. If he did not, we would cease to exist once a week. And this work of giving sight to the blind clearly shows this. But the Jews, who are opposed to understanding God's law that way, issue their verdict on what this man is proposing. They say that this seeing man is essentially still blind. John 9, 34 reads, They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? They point out that the man was born wholly and fully in sin. This is an odd statement for them to say. If they are thinking of an idea like the disciples' question about whose sin caused the man's blindness, there is a problem. This man now sees. If that idea held forth, would it follow that this man must now be forgiven? If the punishment was for sin, either he was forgiven or his penance was completed. So although they could be rejecting this man based on whatever sin they think caused his blindness, it seems more likely given what Jesus says in verse 41, that they are in effect saying that the formerly blind man is still blind. In other words, they're saying, how can you be teaching us God's word? You don't know God's word. You were born in sin so that you were blind to what it means and you still are blind to what it means. We, however, see what it means and clearly. Since you are still blind in your sin and unwilling to learn, you do not belong among us. So the formerly blind man stands outside the gathering and assembly. Here, Jesus finds him and tells him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. John 9, 37. When Jesus says this, the words, you have seen him, are in the Greek what is called the perfect tense, whereas the rest of the sentence is in the present tense. The perfect tense describes a past action which has a continuing and ongoing effect into the present moments. This past action could be long ago in the past or even just seconds ago, but the effect is enduring into the present moment. Combined with Jesus' statement in the present that it is the one who is speaking, the implication is that this blind man saw Jesus after he washed his eyes in the pool of Siloam. Thus the blind man saw Jesus as he was baptized in the pool and has been seeing him ever since then. In other words, Jesus says that this man is not blind, as the Pharisees claim, but that he actually sees rightly. He has recognized Jesus. He has believed on him. He has seen the true light and has been confessing the true light of the world. This man was both spiritually and physically blind. But now, after washing in the pool of Siloam, that is the pool of the one who was sent, he really sees both spiritually 
and physically. And so in this man, God's works are seen, both the work of creating sight where there was none and the work of creating faith where there was none. Both creative acts have been openly worked in this man before the world so that all would see, so that it would be revealed publicly what God had done. And it is clear here what God has done. And so here is the work of our Creator. God brings new creation here. And He witnesses, He testifies that new creation in His people whose eyes have been opened and whose mouths speak His word. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 9, verse 4, We must work the works of Him who sent me. The light shines in Jesus' miraculous healing and in the witness of those who now see the light of Christ. After all, night is coming. And what is night? It is the withdrawal of people from God's word. It is what happens with those who cast out the witnesses of the light. Just think about this formerly blind man. He witnessed to Jesus among his community until he could no longer do so. He witnessed to the light as God's light to them. He brought Jesus to them. He brought the light. But they rejected the light. They cast the light out. And they ended up in darkness. And Jesus acknowledges this in verses 39 to 41. He explains the judgment coming on those who reject the light. They will not see. And the Pharisee who questions Jesus is like, Really? You are saying we are the blind ones? And Jesus responds, Yes, indeed. You are guilty because you claim to see, but you do not. The light has come to you, but you are rejecting it. As long as you are rejecting the light and claiming to see, not only are you blind and becoming overcome by darkness, you are about to end up in the night where no one can work. And so here is a warning to all including those who walk around with Jesus. Take heed of his word. Listen to him, lest the darkness overtake you. While you have the light, walk in the light, that you might become sons of light. John 12, 35-36 In fact, Jesus' answer to this Pharisee's question continues on into chapter 10, where he explains that his sheep hear his voice. Those who do not hear him and do not follow him are not his sheep. They are rejecting his voice. And so, you and I are warned here too. Look at your own life. Are you following the good shepherd? Are you listening to the light? Are you hearing his word and receiving it like this blind man who now sees? Or are you receiving it like the man who considers Jesus' words interesting or only important life principles rather than the words of life and light? Here we are all encouraged to go back into God's word and confirm what we have been taught and believed. We're called to compare with what we knew and grew up with what he says. Do we rightly know him? We're also called to see 
Have I wandered away from the faith, from the truth? If we're honest, we'll see that in some ways we have. Whether we have in our doctrine, certainly in our life, in practice. So what now? Return to the light. Return to your baptism. Return to that font where Jesus opened your eyes. Let him open your eyes to the truth of your life. Let him open your eyes so that you regard him as who he is, the creator and redeemer. Let him open your eyes to how he created the world so that your lips might be open to professing him as God and creator in a world that has been rejecting him. For not only has he washed you clean, but he has raised you up to be a new man in Christ. He has raised you up as his witnesses to be his lights in this world so that others' eyes may be opened and they may see Like the blind man who sees, who is scorned and thrown out of the community, so too are you. But you are not thrown out to wander aimlessly and alone. You have been found by Jesus and joined to him, joined to his family, to a new community. We belong to a community here. God's people gathered here today. And as his community and people, we come to his table and celebrate his meal, our family meal, a meal of confession, a meal where we proclaim him and confess him before the world. Today, he feeds you his family. Today, he connects you to one another as he connects you to his family, his community. For he gathers you here today as his synagogue, which means gathering. His church, which means assembly. You are united as one body with Christ Jesus as our head. We worship him and proclaim him, the one true God who has died on the cross to rescue sinners and outcasts like you and me. So we are no longer ashamed, for we have a true home with him. The world may throw us out of its gathering. We may be excommunicated by the culture, canceled and expelled, ostracized and cut off, but we are not abandoned. Christ has come, and he gathers us to his flock and family, to his table, to assure us of his ongoing presence and his promises to you and me. You belong to him. You are his, and he is your light. You see the truth of what is going on in this world. So remain and walk in his light. In other words, be in his word at home. Gather together with one another in his word here. And support and encourage one another. Your sin and shame has been covered. What is more, the sin done against you has been covered by Christ Jesus, who has welcomed you into his home and family. In this world, You will continue to face troubles of all sorts. But Christ Jesus has overcome them. He even uses those troubles to proclaim through you his light, his love, and his glory to the world. That all those in it might see and also come to believe. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.